We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 23, if you've got a Bible. If you don't, our media team is going to put this up on the screen for us. Uh, Jesus had some strong words for the religious leaders of his day. And in this chapter, there's seven critiques that he gives these religious leaders. They hadn't led God's people faithfully. They'd lived hypocritical lives and were fairly legalistic in their approach. And so we're going to look at one of his critiques in verse 23 of Matthew 23. What sorrow or woe, the old King James says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites. You are careful to tithe even your tiniest income from your herb gardens. King James says, your mint, your dill, and your cumin. You are tithing on your herbs, but you're ignoring the more important aspects of the law, which are justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe. Yes, that's a good thing. But do not neglect the more important things. You know, there were about 613 laws in the Pentateuch, and there were many debates in Jesus' time about which were the most important of all those laws. Jesus said there's two big ones, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Unfortunately, the Pharisees got caught up on some of the minute details of tithing. It was an agricultural system, and the average person didn't worry about tithing on their spices or their herbs, but the Pharisees were pedantic tithers. Jesus commended him, said, well done, well done. You're really doing the giving thing well, but you've got it all out of proportion. In fact, in the next verse, he says, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. If you ever doubted Jesus had a sense of humor, this would have had everyone laughing because a gnat was an insect. A gnat was an insect, and the gnat and the camel were both unclean. Jews weren't able to eat either of them. And he's saying, you Pharisees, you're straining the insect out of your water, and then you're having camel for dinner. Yeah, uh, they would have laughed a lot more than you would have. In other words, you're focusing on the insignificant, and you're missing the really, really important. They had everything out of proportion. And so Jesus says, Hey, good on you for tithing so pedantically, but what's really important is justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And so today's message, on to the next slide, is called Justice Trumps Spices. If you like to take notes, there's your message title, Justice Trumps Spices. If you want to weigh it up, Jesus is saying justice has a greater importance, greater value than you bringing every tenth apple or every tenth of your herbs down to the church office. Uh, the Bible presents God as a God of love and a God of justice. And justice is not just for individuals, but for all of society. Unfortunately, we've often had a gospel that talks about our personal benefits of having our sins forgiven, going to heaven when we die. That's all true. But the good news isn't just for the afterlife. It's for life here and now. God's kingdom coming into our world. In fact, Jesus taught us to pray and he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many know heaven's doing pretty well? Heaven's in great shape. 
Heaven is run the way God wants it to be run. The challenge is earth. And the kingdom of God coming to earth is asking the question, what would the world look like if God was in charge? How would God run the world? He would run it with love and he would run it with justice. But unfortunately, there's a lot of injustice and suffering in our world. There are systems. We can think of the system of slavery, racism, sexism, the discrimination we've seen over the centuries against people of color or against women. Uh, We can think of systems of injustice that you and I need to say, how can we see them changed and see human flourishing. And so God's heart is for justice. And for those of us here today who are followers of Jesus, uh, like the Pharisees, he's saying, hey, don't get things out of perspective. Make sure you don't major on the minors and miss what really matters. Uh, In some ways, Jesus' teaching was novel. It was new. It was radical. In other ways, he was simply continuing the long tradition of the prophets. And so when it came to justice, that was the case. On to the next slide. Micah, for instance, said, what does the Lord require of you? Let's just pause there. There's a lot of things you could put in there. Go to church on Sunday morning. It's not there, is it? It's okay. It's a good thing. I'm, I'm glad you're here. Uh, tithe on your spirit. You, know, you, uh, you could put a lot of answers to the question. What, what's actually God want from us? Micah says, let me tell you what God's really interested in. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Kind of sounds like what Jesus was saying. Well, what really matters to God? And notice that there are action words here. It's not so much what we believe, it's what we do. To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. You know, sometimes we can get a little hard on the Pharisees, but I think if we had the Pharisees here today and we interviewed them and we said, uh, excuse me, Jesus had a bit of a go at you. Do, Do you believe in justice? I reckon they all would have said, yeah. Yeah, we, they, we believe in justice. Uh, we can be hard on the Pharisees. They believed in justice, but how many know there's a big difference between believing in something and living it out in your life? See, the truth is all of us have what we call preferred values and actual values. Preferred values are what we say we believe. Actual values are how we live our life. And for most of us, including the Pharisees, there's a gap between those two. In fact, a few years ago, the Gallup organization did a big survey uh, in America, and they wanted to kind of discover what causes stress in people's lives. And they were surprised at the result. It wasn't financial pressure. It wasn't relational conflict. They discovered the number one cause of stress in most people's lives is what's called incongruent value incongruent values. In other words, when I say I value this, but I know I'm actually not living out that value, that creates internal stress in our life. It's the number one cause of stress. Let me illustrate this. If you asked any crowd, do you value your health? How many know everyone's going to go, yes? I've never heard anyone says, no, I want to be sick. Everyone would lift their hand and say, I value my health. But if you said, do you exercise? Come on. (laughs) Do you think about the food that you eat? Do you take time off? How many know it's easy to say I value my health, but do my practices reflect that value? You ask another group and say, do you value your family? Most people would say, yes, I value my family. But if you then go, do you spend time together? Do you resolve conflicts when they happen? It's one thing to say, I value my family. You ask people of faith, do you value God? Yes, yes, I value God. Yeah, 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 yeah. God's important to me. 
ever talk to God? Ever spend any time with God? Uh, ever include God in the decision you're about to make? How many can see that all of us say a lot of good things, but the way we live our life is often a gap. In fact, integrity means there's an integration between what I say and what I do. But for all of us, there's a bit of a gap. And that's what Jesus was addressing the Pharisees. He wasn't criticizing their beliefs. He was saying the way you're living your life is a focus on the insignificant and you're missing what really matters to me. And he focuses on three things, justice, mercy, and faithfulness or loyalty. And so let me just in our few moments together today, let's talk about how can we act justly. I think everyone in the room would prefer justice over injustice. We all would. But how can we live a life that practices justice? I'm going to use the word ACT, ACT JUSTLY, A-C-T, as an acronym for three thoughts for us together this morning. Letter A, next slide, is awareness. If we're going to be men and women who not just believe in justice but act justly, it starts with awareness. Uh, opening our eyes, opening our ears to the suffering and injustices in our world. It starts there. Uh, Matthew 9, a little early in this gospel, uh, Matthew 9, verses 36 to 37, says Jesus went out and he saw the multitudes. He, he looked, he opened his eyes, he saw the multitudes, and he says they're like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, they're aimless, they're wandering, and he was moved with compassion, compassion to feel for. And Jesus then acted and he prayed and he talked to the disciples and he sent them out. But notice it all started with awareness. And so if we're going to act justly, we can't just stick our head in the sand, big bad world, hope it'll all sort out, can't wait to get to heaven and get out of here. No, we've got to open our eyes, open our ears in our global village and say what's happening in our world. Uh, one of the dangers that we're all susceptible to is something called blind privilege. Anyone heard of blind privilege? Blind privilege refers to privileges we have that we can be totally unaware of. And we all have them. I have a heap of them. As an example, I am a white male. I'm very white and I'm very male. I'm also tall. Very tall. Someone at the Gap said, you're very tall. I'm a white male. I'm very tall. I grew up in the eastern suburbs, middle class home. I'm educated, and I grew up in a Christian family. Now, all of those adjectives, there's nothing wrong with them, but they're all privileges that I did nothing to earn or deserve. I was handed those by means of my postcode and the family I was born into. But you know, all of those adjectives, as good as they are, they can actually make me blind to people that don't have those things in their life. I have no idea what it would be like to be a person with colored skin. I have no idea what it would be like and how you are often treated just because of the color of your skin. I have no idea. I have no idea what it would be like to be a woman in a world that's still very patriarchal, still very male-dominated. I have no idea. I have no idea what it would be like to be short, I don't. When I go to the footy, I've got two boys, Josiah, Ashley, they're, they're as tall as me. When we walk in the crowds of, at the footy, we make a wake behind us. Like, people move out of our way 
fact, our wives, wives and girlfriends, they walk behind us and they just kind of tuck in there. And Nicole says, it's so great shopping with you because I just kind of come behind you. Everyone moves out of your way. <laughs> On a footpath, I don't have to move out of anyone's way. When I walk, people move out of my way. It took my wife, Nicole, actually saying, do you realize that's not the same for everybody? Most people in crowds, they can't see above the crowd and they're pushing and they're getting shoved. You've got no idea what it means to be someone other than you. I've got no idea what it means to be poor, to be uneducated. I've got no idea what it would mean to be of another faith, to be a Muslim in Melbourne, a Hindu, a Buddhist, an atheist. Now, I don't have to change who I am, but I've got to be aware that what I've inherited can make me blind to what it's like to be different than me. And so it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of empathy to open our eyes. Last night at Cheltenham, there was a, a, a visitor in a wheelchair, and he lives his life in a wheelchair. i got no idea what it would be like to be in a wheelchair all the time. And if we're going to act justly, it starts with opening our eyes. It starts with opening our ears. It starts with observing and seeing how other people live and to allow that to move our hearts. Let's just talk about the area of poverty. United Nations estimates that in the world today, more than half of the world's population, that's over 3 billion people, live on less than $2.50 American a day. Another 1.3 billion live in extreme poverty, less than $1.25 a day to spend. Now, I got no idea what that would be like, and I'm not sure you do either. Uh, there's a prominent economist that itemized the luxuries you and I would have to abandon if we were just to imagine what would it like to be one of the 1.3 billion people in our global village who are living in desperate poverty right now. A little illustration. We'd need to enter your house. Just an illustration. Relax. We'd need to enter your house and remove all of your furniture. Everything goes. Beds, chairs, tables, television. Uh, all you're left with is a kitchen table and a wooden chair and a few old blankets. Everything else is gone. Into your wardrobe, everything goes except the clothes you're wearing now and maybe a spare set. The head of the family has shoes, but the wife and children, no shoes for the wife or the children. Into your kitchen next, the appliances have already gone. Into the cupboards, there's some matches. There's a small bag of flour, some sugar, some salt, a few moldy potatoes for dinner tonight, a few onions, maybe a few dried beans. Everything else goes. The meat, the vegetables, the canned goods, the biscuits, the lollies, the Tim Tams. I added that in there. All those things, they're gone from your cupboards. Next, your house is actually stripped. The bathroom is dismantled. You don't have running water, so you don't have a bathroom. The electric wires are taken out. In fact, the whole house is taken away, and you're now in your tool shed. Okay, so you're in your tool shed with your table, your chair, and those kitchen items I mentioned. Communications go next. There's no newspapers, no magazines, no books on your shelves, but it doesn't matter because you can't read anyway. There's a radio, no mobile phone. You can feel the anxiety in the room lifting right now. Government services are gone. There's no postie dropping by. There's no firemen within vicinity. There's a school, but it's a few miles away. There's no hospitals. There's no doctors. Yes, there's a medical clinic 10 miles away with one midwife there that 
knows a little bit. You can get there by bicycle if you have a bicycle, but you probably don't have one. Money, your entire family has a cash hoard of $5. If you can imagine that scenario, that's how 1.3 billion people live in the world every day. I was leaving Cheltenham this morning. I met a young man from Columbia. Columbia. He says, you describe my family. That's how I grew up. No running water. You describe my world. Now, we should all be feeling a little bit better about our life right now. And that's why you'll never hear an immigrant complain about Australia. Because we live in the lucky, the blessed country. 1.3 billion, that's how they live. And how easy it is for us to be unaware of that scenario for people living in our world today. Interestingly, Oxfam estimates that it would take about $60 billion annually to end extreme poverty for all those people. And that's less than a quarter of the income of the top 100 richest billionaires in the world. You can see the extreme disbursement of wealth. Now, the news is not all bad. In fact, in the last 30 years, since 1990, there's been a 36% reduction in extreme poverty. 1.1 billion fewer people now live as I just described. That's good news because of organizations, individuals, governments, people saying, how can we bring justice economically to these people? And so we're going to act justly. We have to be aware watching the news, reading, listening to the stories, having a concern for the well-being of all people and for the environment of which we are stewards. Next slide, Abraham Heschel, a leading Jewish scholar and uh, activist. He wrote a great book on the prophets. He said, the opposite of good is not evil. <laughs> it is indifference. Uh, indeed, our very humanity depends on our compassion. How easy to become indifferent, apathetic, immune, unaware of what's happening in our world. And so that's where it starts, awareness. Next slide, let us see is our choices. It's one thing to be aware, one thing to see and to hear what's happening, but we can easily be a bystander. A bystander is someone who stands by even though they're aware. Uh, we've got to move from being a bystander to becoming an ally, stepping into the arena, into the game. It's not just being aware, but thinking, how do the choices I make every day become choices that move the clock a little bit towards justice? Yes, we can pray, but we can also think about the choices we make every day, the lifestyle we choose, what's a luxury, what's a necessity. Where's my money going? What am I giving? How much am I giving? What am I giving to? Just a choice to sponsor a child. Many of you do that. We've been sponsoring a compassion child for many years. Just 44 bucks a month can change the trajectory of one human and help them flourish rather than suffer injustice. So, so it has to get into our choices, what we do with uh, our resources. Uh, it includes uh, how we vote. We've got an election coming up, and voting's a great privilege, great responsibility to think about the values, the policies of the politicians in your area and the parties we vote for. Again, don't just vote and forget about it for four years. Uh, we uh, have people in politics to represent us, and so pray for them, talk with them, lobby them. Uh, it's about taking action, the choices that we make every day. When we think about choices to be more just, we can alleviate human injustice and suffering at a variety of levels. At the first level is direct help. 
Uh, we can help people being treated unjustly by getting involved, by saying something, by speaking out, by doing something directly. Uh, next is this level of social reform where we can actually think about that issue broadly beyond the individual. And then thirdly is social transformation where we actually think about the structures that are causing injustice. All three are important. Uh, it's a little bit, social action is a little bit like having an ambulance at the bottom of a cliff. People are falling off the cliff. Uh, there's an ambulance there helping to bring healing and help. That's really important. That's social action. But how many think it's good to think about maybe putting a fence at the top of the cliff? That's social justice. That's saying, uh, why are so many people victims and hurting and bleeding and changing the systems that are causing the injustice? So social action and social justice are important. Uh, the social action is a lot easier. Charity is a lot easier. No one criticizes you for being charitable. But when you get involved in social justice, that's not always popular because you're critiquing systems of domination that are causing suffering. There's a bishop in Brazil, very active in justice, and he said, when I feed the poor, they called me a saint. When I asked why are there so many poor, they called me a communist. It's a big difference to move beyond just helping individuals to thinking about systemic injustice that is causing and preventing people from flourishing. And so all of those are really important. The choices we make on a daily basis can move towards justice. And then letter T is time. Next slide. All of this takes a little bit of time. Uh, becoming aware takes an investment of time. Our choices uh, every day. And we can't do everything, but we can do something. And there are some great organizations and ministries. If you missed the Justice Conference, the website is thejusticeconference.com.au. And there's a whole bunch of resources. There are so many good organizations, World Vision, Compassion, Micah Challenge, Opportunity International, doing some amazing work that we can all invest our time and our energy in. Uh, Bayside, one of the things I love about Bayside is the social conscience of this church. Uh, Pastors Rob and Christie have been active in seeing an abolishment of the death penalty. Not of justice, not of consequences, but of mercy shown to those that uh, could have their lives taken. And so many of you have seen the movie Guilty. We just saw about men's mental health. That's a big issue in society. Think of kids on Nauru. There's still 52 children been on Nauru for five years or more in desperate conditions. And so we don't just have to be silent. We can get involved, but it does take some time. Because of time, I'm going to finish with this final story. Uh, onto the next slide. Derek Kayongo. Anyone heard of Derek Kayongo? Uh, this is a, a great story uh, of a man. Don't you love that suit? It's pretty, pretty cool, isn't it? Uh, Derek, let me tell you Derek's story. Uh, Derek was born in Uganda. I've been to Uganda myself. Uh, a couple of times. He was a refugee because while he was in Uganda, Idi Amin was the leader of that country and he was a brutal dictator who led a, a horrible war. And so as a 10-year-old, Derek had to flee his own country. He and his family went to the neighboring country of Kenya and they ended up in a refugee camp. And in this camp, it was horrible. They lacked even the basic necessities. There was no soap. 
in the camp, just as an example. Basic necessities just were not available. Fast forward, Derek amazingly was able to immigrate to America at the age of 22, went on to study, etc. Uh, when he got to America, he was staying in this fairly cheap hotel for the first uh, number of days. As he was preparing to take a shower in his hotel, he could not believe how many different kinds of soap were in the hotel room. There was hand soap, face soap, body soap, shampoo, conditioner. He'd never seen so much soap for one person. After a few days, he began to wonder what happened to the partially used soap after his shower. You know, you take the cover off, package off, you have your shower. The next day, there's a new packet of soap there. This happened day after day. He's going, where's, where's the soap going? I'm getting new soap every day. And he asked. He had the boldness to ask, hey, what happens to that soap? And he was shocked to discover they throw it away. They throw it away. After one use, out it goes, and there's another one. Inspired by his experience as a refugee in Kenya, and knowing that those communities that he was a part of, those refugee camps, were often without any soap at all. Derek and his wife created a life-changing organization that started collecting discarded pieces of soap. It took a while. You can listen to this story on TED Talks. Just put his name in. Uh, it took a while to convince the hotels not to throw it away and to give it to him. But he started collecting these used soap bars, reprocessing them and distributing them to vulnerable populations worldwide. This simple idea helped to combat the number one killer of children in refugee camps, which is hygiene-related issues. He went on to found the Global Soap Project in 2008, a non-profit organization that goes around to hotels, collects those used bars of soap, sanitizes them, recycles them, and then gets them out. They're now active in 32 countries. Uh, by 2014, they distributed 5 million bars of soap. In 2015, they distributed 10 million alone, uh, not only to re refugee camps, but to places where earthquakes have hit, like Haiti and Nepal. Uh, Global Soap eventually partnered with Clean the World, and they've seen a 30% reduction in child deaths globally since 2009. And in Atlanta, where he started this project, uh, May the 5th has been designated in Atlanta as Global Soap Project Day. Go, Derek. Go, Derek. And I just think, what, what an amazing story. And you know what? It all started with awareness. What happens to this soap? You mean they throw it away? <laughs> Which led to some choices and some time. And now a man who's acting justly. I'm not suggesting we're all going to go start an organization. In fact, I'm not here to tell you what to do at all, other than to say, if Jesus would hear, were here, he'd say to us probably, you know, some of the stuff we're putting our time and energy in doesn't really matter. It's good. Don't stop doing it. But what really matters to God is justice. And sometimes the problems of the world can be overwhelming. We can become almost paralyzed. What can we do? I heard one person say it's a bit like a quilt being made by many women and men. And none of us can make the whole quilt. But if we'll just do our patch, just make our patch, do our part. What would it look like this week for you to go out and just say, God, make me aware. Open my eyes. Heal me of my blindness. 
Help me to be alert to injustice, to in suffering. May I then make choices and invest my time to act justly, just as Jesus would. Everyone said amen.